This is the third lesson or third part in this series, Look Unto Jesus. As I said, uh, I want these Sunday, evening, sir, these Sunday evening series to be faith building. Most of the time when we come back on a Sunday evening, most of those who are gathered are members of the Lord's church already. And uh, I want these to be lessons that can really help us grow in our faith and be strong in our faith and really encourage us as Christians. So we've looked at a, a number of these series already. I started with uh, the Genesis flood. We looked at a number of lessons in that particular series. We talked about God is our strength, and we had several lessons in that particular series. And this is the fourth lesson in this one, look unto Jesus. Now the text is really talking about, uh, it, it's based upon Hebrews chapter 11, and verses one and two, and particularly taking one particular statement of, of instruction from that text. But I've, I've really laid this out as, and I talked about it somewhat this morning in our morning Bible class here in the auditorium. If there was ever a time when the world needed to look unto Jesus for answers, for direction, for solution, for forgiveness, for salvation, for strength, now would be such a time. The world is in chaos right now. Our nation is basically in chaos right now. Some people might wonder, well, what do you mean chaos? I mean, things are so crazy. And we're, we're being told things that not very, many years, not very many years ago, we would have said, well, that's crazy. Everybody knows that's wrong. And yet now it's being pushed down our throats, basically, bombarding us continually as being said to be right and even godly all kinds of immoral practices. But, but when we're talking about the world, this nation, people in general need to look unto Jesus, it has to begin with the individual, with you and with me, and each person individually has to look unto Jesus. Again, Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. The Hebrews writer and this follows the 11th chapter, which is often referred to as the Bible's Hall of Fame in that it lists a whole long list of Old Testament characters who are known for their faith, or at least positions of faith. And so Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and the imagery there is kind of the witnesses seated in a coliseum, if you would, and we're about to run our race. Now, by say we, we're talking about every human being alive, particularly perhaps members of the Lord's church, since this is written basically to Christians, I believe. But he says, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. All of those mentioned in the 11th chapter, they're there watching, cheering us on. He goes on and says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which, is so, which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the one who brought the gospel message of salvation to us, the message of eternal life, and the one who is waiting at the finish line 
the, the, the imagery again is waiting for us to finish faithful and thereby receive the reward, the crown of life, eternal life in him. If the world, if our nation, if people in general, humanity needed ever to look unto Jesus for direction, for hope, for solutions, for the answers, for forgiveness, redemption, salvation, eternal life, now would be such a time. Well, so we're considering several reasons just laid out, and I'm sure you could think of some others, but I think these are good basic fundamental reasons why we should look unto Jesus, why we need to look unto Jesus. We need to look unto Jesus first, and this would be fundamental, I think, simply because he is our Savior. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostle Peter said, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We need also to look unto Jesus as our Lord. Now, as I pointed out in this particular section of our study, there are a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people who would say, yep, I believe Jesus is the Lord, but they will not allow him to be the Lord of their life. They'll confess his name, but they won't really serve him as Lord. In Acts 2 and verse 36 on Pentecost, Peter, as he was coming toward the point of really pushing the, the emphasis of his sermon to a point of kind of semi-climax, he said, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has, has appointed or has made this Jesus whom you have crucified both Lord and Christ. Christ Savior, the Messiah, Lord and Christ. We need to not only identify or simply confess Jesus as the Lord, we need to make him the Lord of our life. And so we need to look to, unto Jesus in this section of our study, part three, as our example. I'm not sure a whole lot of people stop and think about that, that Jesus is our example. We need to see him as our example. We need to follow his example of how he lived in this world during those 33 years or so when he lived in physical form as a man upon this earth. We need to look unto Jesus as our example. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 21, the apostle Peter wrote this, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow his steps who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. What an example. The God sent the Savior into this world, not just in human form, but fully divine at the same time. God the Son. And he went through everything that we go through as by way of temptations and challenges and so on, but without sin, without ever surrendering to the, or succumbing to the temptations the devil was throwing at him. In John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, John the apostle wrote, he who says he abides in him, that is in Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. How many people have you known, and I, I suspect that every single one of us here tonight 
has known people who would say, yep, Jesus is Lord. In fact, they might sound real profound. They might really sound spiritual when they make that. Oh, I believe in Jesus. He is Lord. But they're living a worldly life. They're living a sinful life. They're living an unfaithful life before, before Jesus. But they call him Lord, don't they? But he's obviously not the Lord of their lives. He says, John says, we also ought to walk as he walked. There's the example again that he is before us. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14, the Hebrews writer talking about what Jesus went through in this life, just kind of in a nutshell, kind of a, a summary. He said, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, what is that confession? I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God and our Lord and Savior. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now think about all the different kinds of temptation that, is, that have confronted you already in your life, whatever they might be. There are times when we're tempted to lie, aren't there? There are times when, when we're tempted to be ungodly prideful. There are times when we're tempted to think things, to be mean-spirited, to say things about others, to gossip. There are times when we're tempted through sexual immoral, uh, sexually immoral temptations, aren't there? No need to shake our head, no, because all of us experience these kinds of temptations and a whole lot more. And yet Jesus went through all of that, yet without sin. And so there he is the ultimate supreme example for us to pattern our lives after. We are to learn through his example of righteousness. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What greater example could we possibly look to? I remember, I remember a, a brother in Christ many, many years ago in another state altogether. He was talking about a professional athlete who was... I believe he referred to him as an example for us. And it had just come out that that professional athlete had been stricken with a very serious virus that was incurable, basically, because of his sexual immorality, his life of being sexually immoral on an ongoing basis. And that, that brother who led that prayer apparently did not think deeply enough about just what he was saying in that prayer. Well, Jesus did not succumb to any of the temptations. He, he instructs us to abide in him. John 14, uh, 15 and verse 4, Jesus said, Abide in me as I, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is, one of, this is kind of the center of one of the longest immediate contexts of Scripture in the entire New Testament. 
perhaps in the entire Bible, but certainly in the New Testament. It begins in John chapter 13. It goes all the way through John chapter 17. The setting is the night of Jesus's betrayal. But before they go to the garden of Gethsemane, and he's betrayed by one of the apostles, Judas, into the hands of the Jewish authorities sent from the high priest to take him into custody. Well, Jesus is giving the apostles one instruction after another, teaching them, encouraging them, giving them the example of serving them and telling them, as I have done to you, so you ought to do to me. In other words, serve one another. And so here he says, abide in me. He knows what's going to happen in just a short time. They do not know the Jesus being taken into custody, arrested and taken before the the Sanhedrin council, they, they did not know that was coming. That night especially, Jesus knew, he always knew. And yet he says now, and, and this I think we can understand as words of encouragement, abide in me. The word abide means to live in me. You stay in me, you stay with me, and I in you. Now he says, look, a Christian is not one who can just sit on the sidelines and say, I'm a Christian, you know, and, uh, and do nothing, but, he, but we're to bear fruit within ourselves and we're to bear fruit to the glory of God in whatever way we can through our, through our Christian living. And so he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so Jesus had work for the apostles to do, but he has work and service for all of us to do as we become Christians. And he said, listen, you've got to live in me. You've got to live by my teachings. And if you don't, you're not going to be able to bear that fruit. He uses the simple agricultural illustration. And we've all seen that play out numerous times in our lives. We had a big wind come through town a few nights ago. As I was driving along uh, the next morning, you know, to come to the office, I believe it was, I noticed there was a big limb, one of, one of the really big limbs from a tree along the way that had broken off through the wind. Now, we know what happens when those limbs break off, don't we? When they first break off and fall to the ground, all the leaves in those limbs are still green. But after a little bit of time, they start to turn brown, don't they? Start to turn brittle because that limb cut off from the base of the tree is going to die. And so all of the branches that come off of that limb and all of the leaves that come off of those branches, they're going to die too. And Jesus says, you need, in order to continue to bear fruit to my, to, for me, through me, and to God's glory, you need to stay alive in me. You need to, to live in me, abide in me. And that means we've got to follow his teachings too. In fact, that's central to that understanding. So abide in him. In 2 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, John the Apostle, writing later, said the same thing. He says, whoever trespasses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, the teaching of Christ, but the teaching of Christ would include necessarily all the teachings by Christ, does not have God. You see, Christianity is not just 
one act of obedience or even just four acts of obedience, it is a lifestyle of dedicated obedience and service. And so John said, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, these teachings, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. In other words, don't give him any encouragement in his false beliefs or false teachings that he might try to throw at you. We look at Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, and we read about the mind of Christ. This is an incredible text of scripture. And once again, all the way through it, we're being instructed to live by the example of Jesus as he lived upon this earth. So Paul wrote, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, bottom line, live by the example of Jesus as he lived upon this earth, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery or to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now again, how can we imagine, how can, can we really fully grasp what Jesus was willing to do and did in leaving his position with God the Father being God the Son, and lowered himself to be a little lower than the angels in that he took human form and came to earth. He was in the bliss of heaven. He lived in the glories of heaven. And yet he became man, and he already knew what mankind was like. He already knew what the world was like because of mankind. But he willingly and lovingly lowered himself and became man, not for himself, but for us, for us. He came in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. He didn't have to die. He's eternal. He's deity. But he took the form of a man so that he could die for us, so that he could die for us. What an incredible sacrifice on his part. Colossians chapter three, beginning with verse one, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And if we're setting our mind on things above, we're setting our mind and the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and upon what he did for us and continues to do for us. Having been raised with Christ, baptized into him, our lives need to reflect that relationship with him. And so we drop down to verses four and five in Colossians chapter three. When Christ, who is our, who is our life, who is our life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's talking about the final day of judgment. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, 
fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Well, we need to not just believe in Jesus, but we need to recognize that as I became a Christian, I need to reflect Jesus in the way that I live my life before others all around me, all around me. Verse 8 goes on and says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. None of those kinds of words ever came from Jesus' mouth. Jesus did not have to continually repent of sin because he slipped along the way, as we do, but he lived without sin. He never gave in to the temptations, and thereby he could be our example. He could be our example. We look to some people as examples in our lives, but all of those individuals, as good as they may be from a human perspective, or maybe as good as they might be from a spiritual perspective, they still mess up, don't they, from time to time. They're still fallible because they're human. You're fallible. You make mistakes. You commit sins. I'm fallible. I make mistakes. I commit sins. But Jesus is the ultimate example because he never made a mistake, never made a misjudgment, never committed a sin, never gave in to the temptations. And as we became Christians, we need to reflect his life, his example through our example. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the apostle Paul, and I know those who are members of the congregation here say, yep, yep, he, he, he refers to that all the time. I hope it has sunk in by now. But usually I just refer to a part of the verse just off the cuff. But let's look at the whole verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We need to be living that new life in Christ. He is our example. He set the example before us. Think about what Jesus said also in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. First, he said, you're the salt of the earth. And then he said, you're the light of the world. It's interesting that in another text, at least one or two, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. And yet in that particular text, he was saying to his followers, you're the light of the world. And you need to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. How can we be the light of the world? By following the example of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. The lesson we need to get, we need to take in, we need to live by. Jesus gave us the example of serving. In John chapter 13, beginning with verse 14, and this was early in that long immediate context, the night of his betrayal. He's with the apostles in the upper room. It's going to be on that occasion that he's going to initiate the Lord's Supper. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, he was simply using washing their feet as an illustration of the principle of serving one another. If I, the Lord your teacher and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In the culture of that day, they wore open, open kinds of, shoe that, uh, open kinds of, of shoes, foot attire, the roads were commonly dusty and dirty, and when they would come into a home, either theirs or someone else's, it would be a common thing to wash their feet. Either they themselves, or in this case, Jesus says, I have stooped down and washed your feet. It was simply a lesson in service. We can serve people in a whole lot of different ways. We can serve one another in a whole lot of different ways. Are we too proud to serve one another? Do we have a mindset they need to take care of themselves? Or are we ready to follow Jesus? Look unto him as our example, as he laid out in that particular text. In Matthew 20 and verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Are we ready to serve? Or again, do we make excuses for not serving? Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And if he is our example, then what lesson do you think we're supposed to get from that statement? We're supposed to serve also. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, the apostle Paul wrote, be imitators of God as dear children, just as we are to be imitators of Jesus, be imitators of God. In Luke chapter six and verse 31, therefore be merciful just as your father is merciful. Now remember, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God the Son. When we're talking about following God, basically we're talking about following Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, and Jesus came to call us unto him, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Matthew 11, verse 28. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Again, Jesus gave us the ultimate example of holiness. And the Apostle Paul instructed in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul was not saying, hey, follow me. Blanket statement. As though he's the example. He said, no, you follow my example as long as I faithfully follow the Lord's example. And we need to be that kind of example to people around us. Jesus is our ultimate role model. I hear people talk all the time about somebody being a role model. And I understand that. And I think it's a valid kind of assessment and statement to a degree. But no one 
is to be our ultimate role model in life, except Jesus. If we're looking at anybody else as our ultimate basic role model, then we're coming up short. Jesus is our ultimate role model. The question for every one of us, is he your primary example in life? Is he your primary example in life? Now that requires an exercise in self-assessment, self-examination. And I've said many, many times in teaching and preaching, self-examination is painful. And it only works if we can humble ourselves to the point where we agree, at least in our own mind, I need to examine myself. And then if we will be honest in that self-examination, is Jesus your primary example in life? We can say, boy, the world right now needs to look unto Jesus. We can say our nation needs to look unto Jesus. But it begins with you and me looking unto Jesus. We have to look unto Jesus. If you need to come to him, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in him openly, surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of your sins, he's looking unto you right now to do that. If you need to come to God in prayer through the name of Jesus, asking for strength, maybe forgiveness, don't be too proud to take that step. Do what needs to be done. And we'd love to pray with you and for you if you'd let us or just ask us. If you need to come, let's come right now as we stand together and sing.